If you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. And while you're turning there, just let me say that it has been a real joy for me to lead you through this uh, journey that we've taken about authentic faith. I'm just at a place in my life where more than anything in my life, I want to be able to reach to where people are and somehow with the word of God and the anointing of God to pull you up a little higher than you've ever been before. And I I just think this thing about faith is more than just a, a momentary thought. I have, I have faith in this moment, but we need faith every moment of every day. And it, it's a joy for me to lead you through passages of Scripture that will encourage you and bring real faith to your life. I read a blog this week which suggested that faith, when it is stimulated to growth, it is not by one spectacular sermon but it comes through a thousand sermons that connect with the Word of God week after week after week. You know, I, church growth specialists say that you can't preach one thing for very long because people get bored with it. But they don't, those church growth specialists don't know the people at Spirit Life Church who are hungry for the Word of God and want to receive all that God has for them through the Word of God. So thank you for being patient with me as I have taken you through this study. I really believe that if we'll take it to heart and if we, we will apply these principles to our lives, I really believe that you and I both will be stronger and better and more mature than we've ever been because of the Word of God working in our lives. Amen. So hopefully by now you are at James chapter 5. Father, thank you for the privilege that we have today, together in the house of the Lord, to hear the word of God. Lord, I, I remember in the Old Testament passages of Scripture where the people of God gathered together and they stood all day long while the priest read the scrolls. I've often wondered to myself how tiring that must have been to to, uh, stand all day long and listen to someone read something that they may not totally understand. But Lord, the reality is is that they were so convinced that it, it was a word that could transform them, that they were happy to listen and to hear and to take it into their lives. Now, Father, we're not going to stand all day long today like they did in the Old Testament. We're going to sit for a few minutes, and we're going to hear the words that come out of a man. And God, I pray that you'll let my words represent your heart properly and well to your people so that they might take them and eat them and then apply them to their lives and become stronger and more mature because of the Word of God. It's going to happen I don't have to wonder if it will or not because you have already promised that your word when it goes forth will accomplish everything that you've sent it to do. So when we get finished today, somebody is going to be transformed by your word today. When we get finished today, somebody is going to replace their depression with joy because they're going to understand that you are a God of joy. Somebody is going to put their guilt aside today because they're going to realize there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and are not walking in the flesh but are walking in the Spirit of God. Somebody who came into this house today is going to walk out healed in their body today because they're going to connect with the Word of God that declares that healing is 
the children's bread. And by your stripes we are healed. Somebody's going to walk out of here full of faith because they know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. So today we're not going to leave here like we came in Jesus' name. We're not going to leave bound up and oppressed and depressed. But we're going to walk out of here free men and women of God because of the power of God. Amen. I declare it to be so in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Wow, you may not even need me to preach this morning. You may just let me step out of the way and let the Spirit do His job today. I want to leave with you today as we take this last opportunity to kind of wrap up this idea about authentic faith. I want to take this opportunity to share with you five things in chapter 5 that I believe will be evident when we get to this place of maturity in our faith. The first one is, and I want you to notice this, in verses 1 through 7, we're going to discover that faith lasts when we stand confidently in the justice of God. Faith lasts when we stand confidently in the justice of God. Look at verses 1 through 7 in chapter 5. It says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person, and he does not resist you. So be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the, grac- the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the latter rains. Now what he's talking about here is that in the last days that there are going to be some injustices that occur against the body of Christ. But what he is saying is that in the midst of of this uh, oppression that takes place against the body of Christ, that the body of Christ should remember that there is coming a day of righteous judgment. God is going to make every inadequacy right by his righteous judgment. Now we notice in verse 1 that he talks about the mysteries that are to come. In verse 3, he talks about the last days that are coming. In verse 5, he talks about a day of slaughter that is on its way. In verse 7, he talks about being patient until the Lord's coming. In verse 8, he declares the Lord's coming is 
near. And in verse 9, he says, uh, you, you should be careful and know that the judge is already standing at the door. So he's talking about a time when God is no longer going to turn his head and look the other way. He's not looking the other way now. He's taking account right now of every injustice and every oppression that is taking place against the family of God. And through James, he is saying, you need to be ready for the fact that God is going to make all things right in his time. He is coming to judge the world. Now, the first uh, six verses of chapter 5, according to most scholars, is uh, that believe that he is talking about those who are not saved, those who are not part of the body of Christ. He's talking about those who are working fraud against the body of Christ. He never refers to them as believers. He never refers to them as brothers or sisters, uh, but he refers to them in a light that would lead us to believe they are people outside of the body of Christ. So we might wonder why in a letter that is addressed, addressed to the Christians that James would spend so much time speaking words that are harsh to people who are not part of the kingdom of God. And here's the reason why. The answer is that he is reminding the body of Christ that the justice of God is imminent. God's going to stand up on behalf of his people. God is going to take a righteous stand against every oppression and indifference against the body of Christ. He gives four accusations. In verses 2 through 3, he accuses them of hoarding wealth. Notice it. It says, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have corroded and your corrosion will be evidence against you. And will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Jesus has something to say about that as well. In Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21, he says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. I'd underline that in my Bible if I were you. Your life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tell, tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, so you have ample goods laid up for many years. So relax and eat and drink and be merry. But God said, oh man, listen to this. But God said to him, fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he's not done. We hear more in Matthew chapter 6. 
verses 19 and 20. It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where three thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Listen, in these last days, it's going to be awfully uh, tempting to lay up what we have and lay it up in store and, and to, to, to get ready for the last days. But what God is saying in the last days more than ever, those resources that God has placed in your hands are needed to expand the kingdom of God. And there's coming a day when you cease to exist and those riches are not going to be yours anymore longer anyway. So plant the seed while you have an opportunity. Don't hoard what God has put in your life. Then secondly, in verse four, he talks about the cheating. He talks about cheating workers. He said, behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. In verse 5, he talks about those who live in self-indulgence. He says, you lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Look, he's talking about in the last days when we know the time is soon that the Lord is coming back. We should not be heaping self-indulgent blessings upon ourselves, but rather sowing into the kingdom of God. It says that they were like cattle gorging on food on the day of their slaughter. It makes no sense whatsoever. And then finally in verse 6, it talks about the oppression of others. It says to the rich people, you've condemned and murdered the righteous person and he does not resist you. That phrase, he does not resist you, is a very important phrase here. Because what he's saying is, is that there are righteous people that they have been oppressed for so long that they, their spirit has been broken and they no longer have the energy or the spiritual desire to fight back against the enemy. They've been oppressed for so long by someone. They've been oppressed for so long by something. They have been addicted for so long by something that they no longer fight the battle. It's like in America today, we're told that that the reason that our employment rates look so good is because there are a large number of people in the United States of America that have not been able to find self-sustaining jobs. And so they're not even looking any longer to find jobs. They don't even try to find a job anymore because they've tried for so long and can't find something that will sustain their families that they've finally given up. I know men and women who are in marriages that have given up hoping that there will ever be a day of restoration. I know people who have given up believing that they will ever see healing in their body. And let me tell you something today. The devil knows that if he can get you into a place where you can no longer believe for the blessings of God, that he has you defeated at that very moment. It's not the disease that's defeating you. It's not the spouse that's defeating you. It's not that that's de- It's your doubt that is keeping you from being able to see yourself through to victory. 
Say the oppressors have oppressed so hard and for so long that they have killed the spirit of the righteous man. I declare to you today, righteous men and women of God, rise up, amen. Don't let the enemy of your soul get you down and keep you down. Have you been oppressed? Has it been by an employer they've oppressed your soul? Are you here today and you've got a spouse that promised to love you and keep you? Till death do us part. But they're no longer loving you and keeping you. You're no longer the apple of their eye. Is there some other form of oppression in your life right now that has broken your spirit? If that's you, I want to ask you by faith right now to stand up right wherever you are. Just stand straight up. You don't have to come down here. Thank you. Stand up. Are there others? Something has oppressed you. There you go. There you go. Are there others? Something has oppressed you and broken your spirit. There's another and there's another. Are there others? Would you stand? Something or someone has oppressed you and stolen your backbone and kept you from fighting the fight of faith. Are there any others? Are there any others? Keep standing, keep standing. Receive this, Father, in the name of Jesus. Through the authority in the name of Jesus right now, I pray that you will give strength and power and that you will allow these who have been oppressed for too long to stand up right now, to square their shoulders in the name of Jesus and receive in this very moment the blessing of freedom that you have for them. In the name of Jesus. Now clap your hands and give the Lord praise. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Don't you dare walk out of this house today and say, well, it felt good in the moment, but I'm not really sure how free I am. Listen, you're free in Christ Jesus. You're free in Christ Jesus. The chains have been broken off of you today. Don't put them back on yourself with your, your thinking and your discouragement. And instead, you remove those chains as far away from you as you can possibly get them. And stand and walk in the liberty of Christ Jesus today. Hallelujah. 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 Number two, faith lasts when we are patient while we're waiting in the face of suffering. Notice verse 7 through 11. It says, be patient, therefore. Could you give me a little more monitor up there, Bill, please? Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient and establish your heart. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Don't grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patient, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. You see, it turns to the theme of patience now and steadfastness. Patience is mentioned twice in verse 7, once in verse 8, 
and once in verse 10, while the word endured and endurance are used in verse 11. In other words, James is saying, don't you dare give up. No matter what you're up against, don't you dare give up. You be patient and wait until the Lord comes through. You endure to the end because he has given you an endurance that is more than just a fleshly discipline, but it is a spiritual power that will lead you to overcome. He gives us three pictures of this patience he's talking about. Number one, he says, be patient like a farmer who is waiting for the harvest. Verses 7 and 8, that's what he's talking about. Listen, when that farmer puts that seed in the ground, there's nothing left for him to do but wait and allow God to do what only God can do. There's a time when you have to just honor God by waiting patiently and letting him do what only God can do. Don't try to do what God can do. Don't try to raise yourself to his level. Don't try to make somebody get saved because of you. Don't try to create your own pathway. You put the seed in the ground. And then you say, oh God, I know that there's a process that is spiritual. It's beyond natural. You're going to cause that seed to die. And when that seed dies, it's going to live again and break up out of that ground. I may not be able to see it for a while. I may not know for certain it's going to look the way that I think it should look. But God, I planted that seed by faith. I planted that seed knowing that your process is faithful. And I'm going to just be patient and honor you and let you do what only you can do. So what does that mean? Does that mean I just step back and wait and not do anything? No, it means you can honor God with with the things that you can control. You, you can pull the weeds out of the garden. You can put fertilizer on the seed. There are a few things that you can do that God wants you to do, that God requires of you to do. But don't try to cross over the line and do what only God can do, but honor him by doing what you can do in the process. Then he says, be patient like a prophet who speaks the truth in the middle of persecution. Prophets were men and women of God who spoke the truth in the face of opposition. When people don't want to hear what God has to say, it takes a true prophet of God to stand up and square their shoulders and say, whether you want to hear it or not, this is what the word of the Lord says. This is what God says. This is the truth of God. This is the truth of the spirit of God. You may try to avoid it. You may try to get out of it, but I want to tell you that you need to know what the word of the Lord is in this moment. And only a prophet can do that. You say, oh, it sounds like you're getting a little attitude up there. Sounds like you're getting a little arrogant up there. No, 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 I'm not trying to say that. But I'm trying to say that when God selects his prophet or prophetess to stand up and speak a word on his behalf, they are the ones with the anointing to speak the word in such a way that it can be received and then the truth applied to an individual's life. It's not easy. It's not easy to serve in this position. Someone recently told me when people from your church come to you for counseling, refuse to do it. Give them off to somebody else who doesn't attend your church. Because as surely as you counsel them, and then they decide not to do 
what you have suggested that they should do based on the word of God, they will get under conviction and they will leave your church and they will never come back again. And when I first heard that, I thought that doesn't seem very spiritual to me. But then I started going back down through the years, people that I've counseled, people that I've looked across the table at and said, you know that this is what the word of God says about the decision that you're making right now. I start every counseling session with this statement. I don't have a PhD in counseling. I don't have a master's degree in counseling, but I have an anointing upon my life to represent this book to you. And I'm assuming that since you came to me, you're not interested in what Dr. Spock has to say about this or Dr. Phil or Oprah or anyone else. I'm assuming what you want to know is what does God have to say about this? And so I'm going to tell you what God has to say about that. But I also know that as soon as I do, you're going to have two options. You're either going to reject it And then you're going to get mad at me and you're going to think every time I preach, I'm preaching about you and to you. And I'm not going to do that. I've got better things to do than to single you out and your secret sins. I'm not going to do that. It won't take very long if you reject it for you to walk out the door and find somebody who will let you stay in kindergarten when you know good and well it's time for you to grow up and be in second grade by now. It's funny to me, it's funny to me how I can see people out in town who have sat under counseling that I've given them based on the word of God and when they see me coming down the grocery aisle, they turn that buggy around and run the other direction. (laughs) Didn't have even the nerve to tell me that they're leaving. You picked a fine time to leave me, Lucille. Listen, years ago, I used to get so offended by that. Who, who are you to leave when I try to help you? And now I know the answer to that. It's because every time they see me, they're under conviction because they knew that the word of the Lord that came forth was exactly what they needed to hear. And if they would accept it, it would change them and bring transformation to their lives. It's not always fun to be a prophet. It's not always fun to be a mother. It's not always fun to be a father. But God didn't call you to be the best friend to your child. He called you to raise them in the ways of the Lord so that when they're old, they'll not depart from it. And if you try to be their friend when you need to be their parent, you're going to miss some opportunities to speak truth into their lives when they need to hear it. You say, well, they're already going through suffering. Listen, times of suffering are golden opportunities to speak a word for the glory of God. Then he said, be patient like Job who sought the purpose of God during his darkest hour. Job chapter 42 verses 5 and 6 says, I'd heard about you with the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see me. What does he mean but now? 
He means after going through the darkest time of his life, after losing everything that he had accumulated, after losing his family, after losing his sons and his daughters, after losing his sheep, after losing his cattle, after losing his homes, after losing it all, the one thing that he did not lose was his faith in Almighty God. And as a result, the end was greater than his beginning. Listen to me today. Somebody needs to hear this. Just like Job, whatever you're walking through is not the end of the story. Don't stop in the middle of your mess. You keep walking. Don't stop if you're walking through hell. Keep on walking. Because eventually you'll come out of it and you'll see and find that God was with you all the time. Number three, I got to get going. He quickly takes us back to the tongue. Isn't it interesting how James frequently refers to this ugly looking thing in our mouth called the tongue. But let me remind you, we learned this a few weeks ago. This thing in your tongue is nothing but a piece of meat. Some tongues are prettier than others. I've always been told that my tongue is ugly because I've got creases in it, crevices. My tongue looks like the surface of the moon. It's not very pretty. Notice I didn't ask Donna to say amen. But this tongue is useful. It has, it has a lot of functionality in it. But when this tongue gets out of control, it's not because of the tongue, because it's nothing more than a piece of meat. It's because of the spirit and the attitude that is driving this tongue to shape the words or to write the Facebook post that does so much damage. But notice verse 12. But above all, say above all. What does above all mean? It means above all. Have you ever heard anybody say, this is my bay? It's my bay. Hey, bay. Hey, bay. I see it on Facebook all the time. Bay. I thought it was babe. But they didn't have enough energy to use the B twice. Bay. But I'm told that bay means before all else. I don't know if that's true or not. I'm not real up on all that Facebook slang and all that. But I'm told that it means before all else. Well, listen, I don't mean disrespectful. To be disrespectful, but God is my bay. He's before all else. I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all other things are added to me. He is before all else. He says, but above all my brothers, and could we just throw a few sisters in there as well? Do not swear either by heaven or earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. 
When we see that word swear, we think about people that cuss all the time. Blankety blank this and blankety blank that. And what, is, what are they doing? They're swearing. That's not what it's talking about here. He's talking about those who make promises and oaths that they have no intention whatsoever of keeping. I see it all the time at weddings. I love to promise you and I promise to love you and keep you and, and, and provide for you and, and, and make apple pie for you and go to work for you and do all these wonderful things uh, until death do us part. And I think, honestly, some of them just need that little line at the end to keep them from lying or until I get done doing what I feel like I want to do. Don't ain't convenient to me anymore. Oh, I just, I'm just, I need to move on, shouldn't I? Do you know what? They're creating oaths with their fingers crossed. I pledge this and I pledge that and I promise and I, oh God, I promise. Promise God if you'll get me out of this, I'll never do this again. You have no idea how many times I prayed that prayer huddled over a toilet, puking my guts out because I drank too much again. Amen? I knew you were one of them guzzling preachers I could tell by looking at you. No, I've been serving the Lord for 40 plus years. And the day that he took it away from me, I no longer had to cross my fingers and put them behind my back because God took from me something that did not belong in my spirit and I've never had to make a false pledge again because he freed me from it. He said, just say yes or just say no and stop lying to whoever it is that you're making an oath to. The words from our mouths should be so consistent and dependable that they guarantee reliability. Oh, when this person says it, you can take it to the bank. When that person declares it, you don't have to wonder whether it's true or not. It will happen because they are a man or a woman of integrity. Amen? Fourthly, it's 20 till for those of you who are keeping score. Faith lasts when we pray through our sorrows. Prayer, as I've already said, is one of the most powerful things that you can do. And sadly, it's one of the things that we least do in our lives. But praying is important. Notice verses 13 through 18. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person has a great power as it is working. 
You see, patience doesn't involve just sitting back and doing nothing. It is not passive waiting that we should be doing. It is active waiting that we should be involved in. So what do you mean? Well, when there's not something to do with your hand, there is something to do with your spirit. And it is pray. I look at it, it says, it said those who are hurting pray. Who pray? Who does it say? You pray. Let him pray. So I need to call the pastor. I just hurt my big toe. Pastor, I hate voicemail. Pastor, I just called to let you know. Oh, did you hear that? I didn't mean that. I just called to let you know that I stubbed my big toe and I need for you to pray for me today. Okay? I won't be able to make it there Wednesday night, you know. It's just too hard to come in the middle of the week. I just got too much to do. I got to get kids ready and they got to do homework. But anyway, will you pray for me? Listen, I'm going to pray for you. By the time you went through that sob story, you could have already laid hands on your big toe and declared healing it over for yourself. He says, if any of you are hurting, let him pray. Oh, Lord, in the name of Jesus, what just happened to me was not pleasant. What that person just said to me hurt my feelings. But I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. I'm not going to let it offend me. I'm not going to stop walking. I'm not going to stay on the couch just because I stubbed my big toe. There's a whole brand new box of donuts in there. I'm going to get up and I'm going to walk in there and get me one. But before I do, I'm going to pray for my toe. And I'm going to pray for that stupid person that just said what they said to me in the name of Jesus. I'm not going to call anybody else. I'm not going to talk about it to anybody else. I'm just going to pray about it myself. Listen, when are you going to learn that there's power in your prayers? Are you hurt? Let him pray. So when you pray, when you're happy, is anybody happy? Anybody cheerful? Sing a song. Sing a song, sing a song, celebrate good times, ah, sing. <laughs> Great is thy faithfulness. Sing something. So why? Because the Bible says do it. Just start singing. He said, but I'm all bound up and I don't, don't feel like singing. I feel like I got chains all over me. Well, you're not the only one that's had that happen. Just ask Paul and Silas about it. In the darkness of midnight with chains on them, they could have complained and griped and hollered and screamed and cried, but instead they started praising the name of the Lord. And in their praise, their chains were broken. Say, pray for the elders. Let the, let the elders pray for you. Pray with the church. He talks about Elijah. 
He said, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. How did that happen? Come, Sister Donna, come play, if you will, because I just, man, I just feel like I could preach all day long today. How did that happen? How did Elijah on one occasion say, it will not rain for three and a half years until I say so? And three and a half years later, he said, it's getting ready to rain. The heavens are getting ready. How did that happen? It's because he knew what the will of God in heaven was for earth. And because he knew what the will of God in heaven was for earth, he was able to declare instead of plead. He was able to speak what had already been determined in heaven rather than beg And that's where so many of us fall short. God's not looking for beggars. He's looking for declarers. He's not looking for somebody, somebody who can say, I, I, I wonder what God thinks about this. But he's looking for people who can end their prayers Declare what God has already determined to be truth. God, I don't know if this prayer is going to work or not. Stop right there and go to the Dairy Queen and get an ice cream cone. Because I already tell you it's not going to work. Because it's not backed up by faith. It's not backed up by wisdom. And it's not backed up by knowledge. How can you declare what God has already declared if you don't have the knowledge to declare it. See, Elijah, and he wanted to make this point clear, he was a man just like us. Like passions. Just like us. But he was so full of God. when it came time to make a declaration he didn't have to wonder he didn't have to fast and pray in the moment I'm sure he'd already done that that's how you get to know God's will he simply had to declare thus saith the Lord Elijah didn't demand that God do something that God was reluctant to do But Elijah prayed in accordance with God's word, trusting that God would keep his promises. I have one other thing, and I'm closing. Faith that lasts is a faith that prays through difficult situations. But faith that lasts, lasts 
when we are loving toward other people? How can I be in relationship with God and love a God that I have never seen when I can't love an individual that I see every day of my life? It just can't be. And that's the reason that God has created the church. And that's the reason that God has said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together such as it, some do and especially in the last days. Man, you ought to be looking for opportunities to get with the family of God. Notice verses 19 and 20. My brothers and sisters, if any among you wonders from the truth someone brings him back let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins I'm accountable to you you're accountable to other brothers and sisters in the Lord one another falling short of the glory of God. So now I know what you're getting ready to say, Pastor, and I don't agree with that because Scripture says we shouldn't be judges. We shouldn't judge. But you're not reading all of Scripture. All of Scripture says that I am to keep my eyes on you. And if I see you slipping outside of the grace of God I'm not supposed to come and declare that you're going to hell but I'm supposed to show you a better way through the grace of Jesus Christ the problem is is that when we get frustrated with somebody our bad side comes out well I knew that they'd never be able to stay saved I've known them all their lives. You know, I knew. I just knew. Say what you want to say. I just knew. They couldn't do it. Nanny, nanny, nanny. Nanny, boo, boo. Pastor stepped in. Whatever. Don't you just get tired of hearing people that are always Debbie Downers? Negative Nancy. Disturbing Dave. Sorry. Dan. Daryl. Thank you. Oh, we got one of those too. Why not turn that and try to help people? Why not go to someone and say, look, I know you've been struggling with this. There was a time in my life when I struggled with that as well. There was a time in my life when I went through the very same thing that you went through. But let me tell you, the God of grace took my hand and he walked through that with me. Oh, yes, it was hard. It was difficult. I didn't know if I'd make it or not. 
But this thing that you're dealing with right now, it's not big enough to steal your faith. It can only take your faith if you're willing to set your faith aside and lay it down. But I'm here to tell you today, because God did it for me, that he can do it for you. Because he's not a respecter of persons. And if you can just believe, just believe. Just take one more step. Just keep going. Just keep walking. Don't quit. Don't give up. I'm right here beside you. So is he. Love one another. We got to hold on to one another. And even more so as we see the day approaching. I'm going to say this and I promise I'll be done, okay? Well, maybe not. And I know they're fried chicken at Kentucky Fried Chicken. And I know that you've got it on the mind. That's the reason it's so important for churches to be communities of faith. We're not spreading ourselves all over the globe. Attending this church this week and that church next week and going here next month and going there next month. Because just like the person who's been in kindergarten for 20 years if you don't stay put somewhere and allow someone to develop your soul with the word of God you're going to always be in kindergarten why don't you just dig your feet in somewhere and say God if you led me here I believe you did ain't no devil in hell going to get me out of here until you're finished with me I'm going to take whatever I need to take from the Word of God because I know it's good for my soul. It will develop me and it will cause me to be more like you. And after all, that's what I want more than anything. Stand with me.